right, let's go. Dubstep, okay. Get excited. Hey, uh, anyone been to London ever before? It's a great city, yeah. Um, I'm gonna tell a story that'll give us some direction for where we're gonna head tonight. I uh, got to go with JP uh, to London earlier this year uh, in May. There was a, a conference for kind of young uh, uh, pastors under 40, and we got to go be a part of it with 75 other people. Basically, we got a free trip to London, which was awesome. It's like, hey, we're in. And, uh, and so while we were there, as we prepared to go over there, um, as JP has shared before, um, he has kind of been on a journey where he's had challenges in sleeping, some heart stuff and, and different things. And, uh, and so different times, he's just struggled to sleep. And when you travel, that can, can be uh, exasperated. And so in the days preparing for that, this was just something that was like, hey, man, just be praying for this. Hey, praying for it. I'm going to be your wingman over there. If you can't sleep, dude, I'll hang out with you. We'll go see the sights, London Bridge, whatever you want to do. We'll be together. I'm in it with you. And, uh, and we'll just, you know, hang out if we can't end up sleeping. And uh, as he's journeyed through that, I mean, he's just like had all the different uh, experiments where he has just tried kind of anything and everything that could help in that journey of sleeping from like, you know, these different teas to essential oils to just different kind of relaxation sleep stuff. This is going somewhere. So we get on the plane, go to London, get to the hotel. Never been to a hotel in London. Let me tell you something in case you've never been there before. It's about this big, every single one of them. So we're in the room, twin beds right next to each other, like six inches from each other where it's like fist bump. Okay. And, uh, and we're preparing to go to bed. He gets like the tackle box of sleep stuff out there. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm in it. We're with it together. And we get ready to go to sleep. And there's an eight-hour time difference. And, um, and so anyways, hey, see you in the morning. Good night. And all of a sudden... Uh, all kinds of anxiety like hit me. My wife was eight months pregnant at the time. And so I was like, eight months pregnant. Oh my gosh, she could go into labor at any time. How am I going to get home if you got to get home fast? So I'm like checking flights. Uh, how fast can you get home? It's not very fast from London. That's not a real quick, like, I'll be there in an hour. It's like, I'll see you tomorrow. So good luck. And, uh, and I just get hit with anxiety in this moment. And I'm like, I can't sleep. And poor JP, who's over there thinking, I'm going to be here to support him. He's like already snoozing off. I'm like, Psst, hey, JP, uh, are you awake? It's like, I am now. And I'm like, hey, uh, can I try some tea? <laughs> That's true. That got me on that. I'm sorry. Okay. And uh, so I'm like, hey, I'm trying the chamomile tea. He's like, dude, I got you covered, man. You're in the, you are in the hotel with the right guy. He's getting the essential oils out. We're like rubbing them on our, <laughs> whatever that even does. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I'm just still can't fall asleep. I, you know, I go like, I'm just going to go walk around for a little bit. I'm, I'm like continuing to just be plagued with anxiety. And he, he come back in. He's like, dude, I got you. Let me pull out the big guns. Turns on this recording of some guy who does relaxation techniques where the guy's like, relax the pinky toe. <laughs> Tighten the pinky toe. The pinky toe is falling asleep. <laughs> and, uh, and these different breathing, ex true story, all of that. Can't make this stuff up, people. And, uh, and I began to listen to it. And, uh, and some, you know, eventually I ended up falling asleep, but I was just overwhelmed with anxiety. The next day, I remember thinking, man, what if I can't sleep again tonight? I was anxious even thinking about going to sleep. And I was just thinking how, um, you know, if something was to happen back home. And then once you kind of fall into this place of like, I'm anxious about not sleeping, it makes you not able to sleep kind of just in general. And, and it was just this encounter with anxiety that was interrupting this trip and unexpectedly, honestly, anxiety as often is the case. It's not one of those things you try to see happen or you even always anticipate happening. It just kind of like out of nowhere just grabs you. 
And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I'm anxious about this. And in that scenario, it clearly had power over uh, my ability to sleep. The funny thing and interesting thing about anxiety is when you think about it, the level of power it has in so many different areas in our life or can have on our behavior is extraordinary. I mean, how, how many people, because of anxiety over, do I have enough money? Can I provide for my family? Uh, you know, am I gonna make enough to be financially secure? They become workaholics. How many people end up marrying someone who's not God's best or someone who's not in line with who God in the Bible, the scripture says, you should marry this type of person. They settle because they're like, dude, I'm just worried this may be the last chance that I have. How many people uh, lie or are dishonest and don't totally tell the truth because they're worried about what someone else thinks about them? I mean, you think about the ways that anxiety, some of you guys right now, you can't, you're not even listening to most of what I'm saying because you're distracted, distracted over just a worry or an anxiety that is plaguing you right now, maybe from today, maybe in this room. Maybe because you're like, who's she talking to right now? Maybe it's affecting you right now, but the power of anxiety is reality and can have tremendous power over our behavior. And you think the great lengths, think about all the ways that people attempt to find freedom from this anxiety. I mean, uh, some of the reasons that people either turn, uh, you know, hey, I need a glass of wine or I need marijuana or I need some sort of medication is just because, you know, I need some relief from this. Some people uh, will turn to counseling because, hey, I need relief from this. Some people will turn to, man, I just, every time I get anxious, I just gotta like clear my head, go watch every episode of the new Stranger Things series. I need to go just numb myself through just binging on Netflix or I need to go to the gym, need to exercise. That all of us will try to find different ways to cope with anxiety because we recognize, man, it can have a clear power over our, our thinking, over our health over our focus, just over our ability to sleep, all kinds of different things. And the further interesting thing is it's, it's one of those things that no one wants in their life. Like no one came into this room tonight and it was like, look, hey, I'll surrender everything to you, Lord, except the anxiety. That I'm keeping all to myself because that's my little pet vice over here, just me and the anxiety. Everyone would be like, dude, if it is possible to be free from anxiety, I would love to know how. And the good news is, I think the Bible has a ton to say about this. Anxiety is not something that's new. Worry is something that's been taking place for thousands of years. In fact, it was happening in Jesus' day and age, and repeatedly in Scripture, um, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament talk about anxiety and a path towards experiencing peace. So tonight, I want to look with you at some of the principles and truths that Jesus lays out in Matthew chapter 6 that provide an antidote and a solution that the more that you and I embrace, the more peace will be present in our lives. So we're gonna look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter six, verses 24 through 34. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Matthew chapter six, verses 24 through 34. If not, it will be up on the screens as we look at Jesus' teachings on the subject. What Jesus is gonna lay out is really two truths about anxiety and then one solution. Two truths about anxiety and then one solution for experiencing freedom from anxiety, which is, if you take notes, you write, tonight's message is experiencing freedom or finding freedom from anxiety. All right, we're gonna start in verse 24. As Jesus launches into, he gets to the conversation of worry. No one, so Jesus is preaching, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, he's given a sermon. Very first sermon goes in. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body and what you will wear. Jesus launches into the conversation of worry and he begins to address the things that his audience worried about. And he brings up something that I'm gonna come back to later, but he essentially, in saying, hey, money and what you're gonna wear and what you're gonna eat, he's addressing the things that his audience would have been uh, most devoted to or the things they worried about. And he addresses the fact that there's a relationship between what you worry about and what you're most devoted to. The things that you worry about reflect, hey, these are the things that I'm kind of most committed, most devoted to. And Jesus says, hey, there's a relationship between those two. And I want you to know that there is a way to experience freedom from worry. So don't worry. And he addresses what his audience would have worried about. To us, he would have said, whatever, fill in the blank, your anxieties, your worries are. But then he asked two questions that I really want to spend the bulk of this first point discussing with you. And here they are. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Again, he's addressing an agricultural society that um, it, food was a big deal. There was no refrigeration. There was no ability to, uh, there's no food trucks, no food camels, no anything like that that would allow them to like, oh, there's food right here. It'd be like, oh man, hey, I'm worried if we don't have enough food to eat. To us, he would say, man, hey, isn't life more than getting married? Isn't life more than having enough money in the bank account? Isn't life more than driving uh, you know, the right car? Isn't life more than having the perfect roommate set up? Isn't life more than getting into the right master's program? Not that those things don't matter and they're not important. He would just say, whatever your worries are, isn't life more than those things? And then the second question in verse 27. And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That in other words, Jesus asked two just really on the face, simple questions, but profoundly true and just trying to get the whole audience on the same page. Hey, let's all begin to talk about worry and let's address a couple things. Isn't life more than those things? And does worry positively contribute to your life? Is worry helping you or hurting you? The answer to like, hey, uh, can you add to your life by worrying about something? No. A lot of us have taken life off by worrying about things. But his point is simply this. The first idea is that worrying is always worthless. And I know on the surface that seems so simple, but Jesus is beginning the conversation about worrying. He's like, hey, let's all get on the same page. Worrying never positively contributes to things. It's not helpful. And he's beginning to help his audience by asking the question, isn't life more than that? Deflate the power of the things that they worry about. That's what he's attempting to do. What do I mean by that? Anytime that you and I worry about something, it becomes like the thing that we're so focused on, I'm distracted by, I can't really even you know, focus on what the world around me is, is what's going on because I'm just anxious over, insert fill in the blank, whether or not this relationship is coming to an end whether or not I'm gonna have someone to live with me or I'm gonna have to move apartments after my roommate moves out, whether or not, you know, after I bombed that presentation, I'm gonna get the promotion or what everyone at my work is thinking about me. Whatever we're worried about can consume so much of our attention. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you're worried about things that at the end of the day, is that really all that life is about? You're spending all of your time thinking about them and time equals life. And so these things that are really not even at the end of the day that big of a thing, and yet you're spending so much of your life focused on them, and he's just trying to pull his audience back from the things they get hyper-focused on. Like to his audience, he'd be like, oh, you're so concerned about food. Is that all life is about? Like if you had all the food in the world, you never had to worry about it, is that all you'd ever want ever? No. Maybe it's, it's around marriage or 
singleness. And, and to you, he would say, look, is, is life marriage? Life equals marriage? Really? No, of course not. Isn't life more than that? If you think life equals marriage, that's all that it is, it's because you are not married. And someday you're gonna get married and you'll be like, huh, yeah, this is great, but yeah, it's just not, there's so much more. And Jesus is saying to his audience, and whatever you worry about, he's saying, man, isn't life so much more than this? The thing that's getting all your attention, the thing that you're so focused on. And he's trying to deflate the power of their worry. Really, uh, the genius here is that today, counseling and psychology is, is still catching up to what Jesus did right here. Because they do a form of this, if you ever go to counseling around anxiety, and go see someone. They'll do a form where they'll attempt to deflate the power of worry. So I'm married to a counselor, so I'm like in counseling every single day. And it's like, it's not working. And, uh, and, uh, and my wife would say, and counselors would say, there's a, a form that takes place where counselors will help you do this today, where they'll attempt to just help you uh, deflate the power of the worries that you, you experience and help you see them for what they are. And so, uh, for example, one variation of this, where they're, they're essentially doing what Jesus did back then, where if you came in and you're like, man, I'm just so anxious, I'm gonna lose my job. And they'll just help you chase down what you're worrying about. Okay, well, what happens if you lose your job? Well, I guess I'd have to look for another job. What happens if you have to look for another job? Well, I, you know, if I don't find something quick, I'd have to maybe get rid of my, you know, my lease on my car. I'd have to change it in and get a new car. What if you have to get a new car? Well, I'd probably have to get like a clunker because I don't have much in savings. And what if you have to get a clunker? Well, I guess I'd be embarrassed to drive my clunker around and what people are going to think about me. Got it. Okay, you're not worried about whether you lose your job. You're worried about what people are going to think about you if you drive a clunker. And just chase it down. What if I can't sleep tonight? What if you can't sleep tonight? I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. What if you're really tired tomorrow? I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. <laughs> and just helping chase. I mean, it's, truly, I've just saved you guys like 125 bucks an hour. You're welcome. Okay, that's just free. But they're doing, still today, psychology is catching up to what Jesus 2,000 years ago was going, hey guys, let's just all see the things that we are worried about for what they are. Not that they're not important, but they're certainly not the epitome of what life is all about, despite the fact that they're getting all of your attention and you're spending so much of your life focused on them. And he continues. He further asks the question in verse 27 of, hey, does worry add to your life and um, even medical Studies have, have come out and said, I mean, it's clear, worry has a detrimental effect on the human body. Charles Mayo, the Mayo Clinic, if you know that is, said this, worry affects the circulation, the heart, glands, the entire nervous system. I've never known a man who died of overwork, but I've known a whole lot who have died of worry. So in Jesus' words, he's just saying, hey, worry is never helpful as we launch into this conversation. Let's all get on the same page about that. Worry is worthless. But here's what's interesting. Knowing worry is worthless is kind of worthless. It's like, oh, yeah. In other words, me being like, hey, worry is worthless. Stop it. Nobody's like, all right, all my worries are gone. I'm done. Let's close in prayer right now. No one would say that. Shut it down. But the good news is Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues and says, why, as followers of Christ or Christians, you and I don't have to experience worry. And he continues the conversation as he just is bringing us to the fact that it is possible to experience freedom from worry. And he goes into an illustration. Here's what he says, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or store 
away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable to God than a bird? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Side note, Jesus points out there's a relationship between the size of your faith and the size of your worry. Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For the pagans, a pagan's a person who doesn't have a relationship with God. A pagan is a person who doesn't uh, have a heavenly father as God. It would be the rest of the world, if you will. The pagans run after all of these things. They're focused, they're pursuing all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Jesus says that you and I, as Christians, are different. One of the reasons you do not have to worry is because you have a heavenly father. You're not like the rest of the world who doesn't have anyone watching and looking out for their back. As Christians who have a heavenly father, who are children of God, the Bible teaches, have someone or have a heavenly father who's caring, who's providing, who's concerned and is promised to look after their needs. And he's inviting you, you do not have to worry. He's not saying don't care. He's not saying don't try. He's not saying, this is not Jesus' version of like, dude, it's all chill, just you know, keep it cool. It's not saying that. He's not saying don't work hard, fill out the applications, uh, follow up, be diligent, do all of those things, work really hard. And then at the end of the day, he's saying, I'm inviting you to sleep well and not worry because you have a heavenly father who's promised, I will provide for your needs, not your wants, your needs. The second idea from this text that Jesus lays out is that you, if you're a Christian, you do not have to worry because God will meet your needs. God has promised I will meet your needs. There's a guy named John Owen who lived a couple hundred years ago, was a a famous pastor, if you will, and he just said, hey, worry for a Christian is irrational because it is... As a Christian, you're someone who says, God, I trust you with all of eternity, with all of my life, all of my sin. I trust you with all of it, God. I just don't trust you with Thursday. He would say, that's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It's a human experience that grabs all of us, but it is an irrational thing. Just, I trust you with it all, just not tomorrow. And not this. That this, I'm afraid you're going to mess up, or this may be too big for you to handle. He just said, it is irrational, because they believe their Heavenly Father is a provider who's promised to meet the needs that they have. Jesus, in this passage, four times says, do not worry. Hey, you don't have to worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do you know what the most commanded, uh, uh, most repeated command, I'm sorry, in all of the Bible is? Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Fear not. More than, hey, don't get drunk. More than, hey, don't sleep around. More than, hey, don't you know, get angry and hit people. More than any of those things, do not fear. 366 times. Do not fear. Think about that. That is one for every single day of the year, including leap year. It's as though God is very clearly trying to communicate a message. I do not want my people to live in fear. They're going to face uncertainty. Life is not going to go the way that they always want it to. Life is hard, and in this world, they will have trouble. But God says, 
I am inviting them to a life where they can face future uncertainty and not be afraid because they know their Heavenly Father is working to provide for their needs. Not their wants every time, but he has promised, I love you, I am for you. You do not have to worry, I will provide for you. I've got your back. Don't let anxiety push you into the same self-centered, I'm concerned about getting more for me, 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 that the rest of the world, that's pagans, are running after because you have a heavenly father who said, I got you, I will provide. Even by saying, to not worry, he is implying, I got you. By saying, do not worry, he's implying, I got you. And if he's not, he's not a good God. What do I mean? If he's saying, hey, don't worry, but you know, I don't really, don't have you covered, he would not be a good heavenly father. You wouldn't say someone is a good friend if they did that to you. Like if we tonight, we were going, we're going to dinner afterwards, we're leaving, oh yeah, we're going to Matito's, great. And we're walking out and you're like, oh man, I forgot my wallet. I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. We go to Matito's, get there, we're eating food, and the bill comes up, and he's like, one check, two checks, uh, two checks. You would look at me like, what? You said don't worry. And if I said, <laughs> you thought I was going to pay for you? No, I didn't mean I was going to pay for you. I just didn't want you to be distracted and, and you know, uh, discouraged while we're eating the meal right here. I, have fun washing dishes. That's great. You wouldn't be like, you're a great friend. You'd say, what is wrong with you? You're a terrible friend. What kind of God says, hey, don't worry, and then says, but you're on your own? Does that make any sense? He's clearly saying, I got you. I'm promising to provide for your needs. No, no one would say there's a such thing as a good parent, a good father, or a good mother who can meet the needs of their children and doesn't. No one would say that's a good parent. Think about the lengths that parents go to to provide for the needs of their children. Think about the needs that people go to. Any dog moms in the room in here? And dog dads? That's, there are more dog dads in here. <laughs> I am, I'm concerned. Uh, so this is a new thing, I think. Let me just address this here for a second. The dog mom phenomenon feels new. Here's what I mean by dog mom. I don't just mean you have a dog. I mean you see this dog as your child. And so you're, you, know, you had a Halloween costume for them. You are, every time you go into the grocery store, you're like, oh my gosh, get to get a new toy for Fido, okay? And uh, you see this, this child as like your, or you see this dog <laughs> as your child. You're like, no, you had it right the first time. And this seems like a new phenomenon. I mean, I mean there's a girl on our team, the, the links that she goes just to like, you know, here's a sweater and, and I don't want to call names, Emily, but uh, she, <clears throat> I, I mean, she gives her dogs middle names. If you are giving your dogs middle names, there's something wrong, okay? And you are dismissed, okay? No, but she, the links that she would go to, to provide for her dogs. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that she loves her dogs more than God loves you? Do you think that whatever dog mom you know, the best in the world, has a greater amount of love for her dog than God has for you? Of course not. He's already proven it. That the lengths that he'll go to to provide for your needs, including your ultimate need, includes giving the life of his only son, dying in your place. That there is no greater amount of love someone could have. There is no even ability for us to comprehend 
the love that God has for us, the Bible says. It's literally something you have to pray, God, will you help me to comprehend more of it because you're such, uh, you're a God who loves me so much I cannot on my own comprehend it. That's Ephesians chapter three. But if we were honest, most of us often fail to believe that. Struggle to believe that, man, God, you really, you love me more than any human love I've ever seen expressed towards a child, towards a dog. And the God who's there says, I got you. I promise I will provide for you. And let me clarify, again, it is not I will provide for all of your wants. He promises I will provide for your needs. You may think you know what you need. God actually knows what you need. And he promises I will provide for your needs. I got you. It's clear, I mean, even if you just look back in your own life, if you're anything like me, that I'm not always the best determiner of, uh, hey, I really want this, God, this would be great. Would you please give it to me? And then years later, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful you did not give her to me or job to me or school. I mean, think about it. Think about the people maybe in your past, boyfriend, girlfriend, relationships that you had, a college that you were just begging God, please let me get into, and he didn't answer that prayer. And you look back and you're like, man, I'm so thankful that that ended up not being the way it went, that we're not great at determining what we want or what is even best for us and not great at determining what we need. But the God who's there says, I know what you need and I promise I will provide it like I provided by sending my son to die on a cross. I got you. You do not have to live like the rest of the world. So Jesus says worry is worthless and worry for Christians is irrational because we have a heavenly father who has promised, I will provide for my needs, for your needs. A heavenly father who's in control, who loves you and is working for your good. As it's been said many times, we do not know what tomorrow holds as Christians, but we are the only people in the world who know the one who holds tomorrow. Christians do not know what tomorrow has for you, for me, for any of us, but we're the only people on this planet who know the one who holds tomorrow and every tomorrow after it. And he said, I got you. You can trust me. I got you. And then Jesus goes into what I think is one of the most profound truths that I believe if you begin to practice and put it into practice, it, you'll experience increasing freedom from anxiety inside of your life. Where he lays out a verse that candidly, I think some people, if you were raised in church, you have heard so many times and you've never actually paused to think about what Jesus is actually saying here. And so it's a verse that you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that one before. But if you pause, look at it. There's an incredible principle and antidote to the anxiety that exists in a lot of our lives. Here's what he says. But seek First, hey, I don't want you to have to worry. You don't have to worry. Heavenly Father loves you. He will provide, but here's what you need to do. Seek, that same word seek is translated desire first or prioritize first. Embrace as the very first thing. Put on the throne of your life, if you will. This is the first thing. God's kingdom. What is, what, that's a weird world there. What does that mean? Heaven? What do you mean by that? The word kingdom all throughout the Bible is essentially God's reign, God's rule, God's will. Prioritize first. Place as first in your world, in your life, God's agenda for you. 
and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Take it day at a time, day at a time. What is you saying? Jesus says, hey, I want you to desire first. Place as first on the heart and throne of your life God's kingdom, God's agenda for your life, God's will for you. Both his revealed will in the Bible and his revealing will as it unfolds in front of you and his sovereign uh, plan unfolds in front of your life. Embrace first God's agenda for your life. In other words, Jesus says, don't let there be any competition for whose agenda is in first place, yours or God's. All of us came in this room, we got an agenda for your life. Or you have one, I got one for my life. It doesn't involve cancer. It doesn't involve uh, you know, having, uh, losing a child. It doesn't involve you know, being single for years and years and years. I got an agenda for my life. I got a will that I want to see happen. And Jesus says, place as first in your life God's agenda above your own. Prioritize first God's agenda above your own and you'll experience peace. You will begin to experience peace. Here's why this is so relevant. And think about it. Remember we talked about devotion? He's saying be most devoted to God's will for your life. God's agenda, not yours. And you'll experience peace. Because what you are most devoted to determines what you worry about. Be most devoted to that. What does that mean? I mean, think about your worries. Here's what I know about my worries. I'll talk about me. I worry about my wants, about my agenda. I'm not worried that God's gonna mess up his plan. I'm not like, God, you're out there and I just think you may have made a mistake yesterday and all that. I'm worried he's gonna get it wrong by my standard, not by God's. I worry about my wants. I worry about getting my agenda fulfilled. And he says, look, I want you to place as first importance or embrace first, not your desire for your life, David, but God's plan and God's agenda for your life. Because like I said, I worry, essentially, my worries are like, hey, I'm not gonna get everything that I want. That's the things that I worry about. Like, I'm not worried that, you know, I'm not gonna get everything that I want, which is crazy. And you worry about, you not getting the things that you want. And it's crazy, I say, because the reality for all of us is you're not gonna get what you want all of the time, every time, for the rest of your life. It just is not gonna happen. It hasn't happened already, unless you're like 30 seconds old. You will not get, you're gonna live the rest of your, you're not gonna get everything that you want. And so we worry about not getting everything you want. You're not gonna get everything you want. So here's what you can have. You can either have not everything that you want in life and worry, or not everything that you want in life and peace. You're gonna not get everything you want both ways. That's just true. You came in tonight, you're gonna leave, sorry. I hate to burst the bubble. But you're not always gonna get everything that you want in life. And so Jesus says you can either have worry or peace. God, things are not going the way that I wanted them to. I trust you. God, things are not going the way that I saw them going as it relates to you know, my dating life and lack thereof, but I trust you. And I'm trying to trust you more. Will you help me? That he says, will you begin to place as first on the throne God's agenda as it sovereignly unfolds before you? God, I trust you.
in case you're still not following me, he, he brings up something he mentioned 20 verses earlier. 20 verses earlier, he alludes to the same idea when he says, this is how you should pray. You guys probably remember this if you grew up in church on the Lord's Prayer. Hey, let me teach you guys how to pray. You wanna know how to pray? And he brings up the very idea that we're talking about. When you pray, you say, our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. What does he mean by earth? That means in my world, on the dirt that I walk in, in my life, your will, your kingdom come, your agenda for my life before my own, your will be done in my earth on the dirt that I live and walk on. I'm embracing that as the first thing and the first priority and I'm asking you to bring it about in my life. Jesus illustrates this exact idea about what does it look like you begin to experience peace by just saying, God, hey, you know how badly I need this job. And I don't know what I'm gonna do if I can't afford to make rent. Will you please help me to get this job? And if you don't, if your will is something else, I trust you. I trust you. Your kingdom, your agenda before my own. This would be on my agenda. Let's make no mistake. Let me be abundantly clear. But if that's not on your agenda, I trust you. Jesus models this exact idea in the only moment in scripture, we're told that Jesus was overwhelmed looking at future events. There's only one time. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's hours away from being crucified and we're told that he was overwhelmed with sorrow as he looked at the future. And in that moment, he, he expressed exactly what we're saying. God, let this not happen, but not as I will, but you will. He says this in Mark chapter 14, verses 34 and 36. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed, if it is possible, would this hour pass from him? Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, or don't make it so I have to go die on a cross. Yet not what I will, but what you will, that I'm placing above my own desires your will for my life, God. And if you will begin to practice that, you're gonna experience peace on the big things in your world, in your life. God, my mom just got diagnosed with cancer. I'm overwhelmed. What's gonna happen, Lord? Will you please not allow her to have anything other than a healthy, fully healthy and fully restored body? But if that's not the story you're writing, I trust you. I mean, what other option do you have? I guess worry. You're not gonna thwart the plan of God Again, it's like one of those things, even this idea of being like, God, look, hey, you know how desperately I want to have children, and I'm afraid that maybe that's not gonna be in the cards for me, and God, I, I can't even imagine that being the case. And so I'm struggling to trust you, but God, if that's your will, I trust you. Will you help me trust you more? I trust you. The idea of even what I'm saying is hard because just like uh, what I mentioned earlier, it feels like we're giving up control. Like, God, man, I'm just I'm giving God control back. Newsflash, you don't have control. And neither do I. So you're not giving anything up. You're either gonna have no control and peace or no control and worry. You're gonna have no control either way. You get to choose which one. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to have peace in your experience. People even use the phrase like, hey, I struggle with control. That is like saying, hey, I struggle with, um, with x-ray vision. 
That is a myth. You have never had control. You will never have control. There's only one person who has control. That's God. That's like me saying, I really struggle with sovereignty. That is a myth. And God who's there saying, hey, you have no control. You never will. I have control, and I love you. I'm for you. You can either have no control and anxious or and worry or no control and peace. You decide. I had a friend who was recently going through, and he had um, started his own business, and through some accounting errors with his accountant, he owed the IRS tons of money. He was overwhelmed with like, man, I'm afraid that I'm gonna lose my house. I'm gonna lose my job. I'm gonna lose my company. I'm just like, I mean, he was overwhelmed with anxiety, and he began to just pray this prayer like, God, I don't wanna lose my house. I don't wanna lose my job. I don't wanna lose all that I own, but if, if that's what you're doing and that's what you want, I trust you. I don't understand why that would be what you want, but if that's what you want, I know you love me. You proved it by dying in my place, and I trust you, and I'm trying to trust you more. Please don't let that happen, but I trust you. I'm not gonna thwart your plan, but I can experience peace, and the God who's there is inviting you on the small stuff. Maybe you're just anxious over like, hey, you know, I mean, just we all get anxious about the most petty things, like, um, I just broke up with my girlfriend, and I think she's going on other dates with a guy, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's going on other dates with a guy. That's unbelievable. What if they end up getting married? I thought she was the one for me. And we can all just get distracted and, and overwhelmed and, and just practicing like, God, if that's your will, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know what's going on in your world and in your life right now, and then across the board, I could, we could go every single person in here. And today, anxiety attempted to grab a hold of you. And the God who's there is saying, if you will begin to replace your agenda with God's agenda, you'll experience peace. What I know, put in my notes of the third point from tonight is you will relieve your worries by replacing your agenda for God's. You will begin to relieve your worries by replacing your agenda for God's agenda. The Apostle Paul years later would pick up on Jesus' exact teaching where he would say this, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, no matter what you're facing, pray and petition, which is ask God. It's saying the same thing. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's the third time he says the same thing in different words. Pray, talk to God. Petition, tell God what you need. Present your request to God. Tell God what you need. He's very repetitive. When you're anxious, here's what I want you to do. Talk to God. And the peace of God will transcend, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you know what he's implying there? The only way that you're gonna have peace when you tell God that stuff, when you bring your request to God, is if you believe that God is in control and he's working for your good. You're not gonna have peace any other way. The verse clearly, and Paul clearly is saying, like, hey, when you're overwhelmed, pray. Tell God, hey, this is what I'm overwhelmed. This is what's going on. God, will you please change this? And if not, I trust you. And you will experience peace. You can wake up tomorrow, and if you begin to do that, and some of you, you need to do this tonight. You need to do it right now. You need to verbalize it. There is something powerful about when you speak the words, God, I trust you. It does something to your heart. And so you may need to leave. You may need to, after this is over, go find a place by yourself just in your car. God, you know how badly I want whatever. 
God, you know how scared I am about whatever. You fill in the blank. And please don't allow that to happen. But God, if it does, I trust you. Will you help me trust you more? And there is power even in verbalizing the words, God, I trust you. I'm struggling to trust you, but I trust you. Will you help me trust you more? And you will begin to experience peace as you face uncertainty. Let me close here and I'll invite the uh, band to come back up. I, um, over the past year, this has become so real to me. Last fall, we discovered that we were pregnant. We were gonna have um, another child and we were so excited. And then in early December, about 10 weeks in, after we had already done uh, you know, a test around the baby and discovering that, we got a phone call at 9.30 on a Wednesday night and it was a doctor who said, hey, I, I need to talk to you and your husband. The test results came back and, and uh, we're so excited you're having a baby girl, but it also came back and there's a decent chance that she's gonna have a chromosomal disorder. And there's a 90% chance that she'll die before she ever gets born. And if she is born and she has this, then she will have immediate heart transplant and heart surgery right there. And she'll live the rest of her life with severe complications. She'll never have uh, the ability to have children herself. She'll have physical um, implications because of this defect. And she'll require medical attention the rest of her life. And it was like a bomb went off. And I know most of you guys don't have kids. And someday you will, and it's going to be awesome. It's the greatest thing ever. But in that moment, it's like, it's like a bomb. And by that, I just mean like, the, you know, we've all seen the scenes in the movies where pff, your ears are ringing and everything's going in slow motion and you're just trying to grab your thoughts. And that led us on a nine-month journey. We wouldn't know, she told us. Every day gets a little bit better. Now, if she survives, that's a great thing. And for the next nine months, but it would be nine because we wouldn't know until she was here. It just drove us to embrace this like I've never embraced it. And this wasn't some like preaching thing and you gotta do this. It was like, God, this is life. We don't want our daughter to die. Will you save, will you spare our baby girl? And if that's not what you want, I don't understand why, but I trust you and I'm trying to trust you. Will you allow her to be a healthy girl? I mean, all of a sudden, you can imagine if you're in ministry, you're like, how am I gonna afford all the different medical attention for the rest of God, I'm in ministry. If that's what I, if that is your will, God, I'm not going to stop it. I trust you. What other option do I have? Help me to trust you more. And everything came into focus. We prayed our prayers and cried lots of tears and prayed a lot more. And I wish that I could say, like, hey, every moment in those nine months was one where we just said, God, hey, we trust you. I can't. I don't even know that I can say a majority of them. A majority of our life was filled with moments of trust you. But I can say this. Every moment with peace was. Every moment where we experienced peace was one where we just said, God, we trust you. Your agenda comes before my own. And I don't understand why you would do that. But if that's your will, your will be done. I trust you. And um, June 29th, our daughter was born, and she was healthy. And I think God was growing my faith. I think he was growing, hey, David, do you trust me? 
And I hope that I would say yes had things not gone the way that they did. And I'm not foolish enough to stand up here and be like, yeah, and, that, and I would have. But I do know that if I'm gonna experience peace, it's gonna come by just opening up my hands and they're already open, let's be honest. We're trying to grab for something that's not ours. And he's saying, will you trust me? And if you do, you'll experience peace. I don't know what you're walking through in this room, but I know the God who's there, he loves you. He will provide for you. He's promised to meet your needs. And he is working for your good and he is your heavenly father and he's inviting you. Will you trust him? I wanna pray and um, I wanna invite you to do something. If you guys would just bow, we're gonna just close our eyes and, and pray. And I want, if you are in the room right now, you just close your eyes. And you are walking through something where you are anxious. It could be something big, it could be something small, it could be anything and everything in between. But you know that there's just something gripping at your heart. I'd love to pray for you. And so if you'll raise your hand right now, I'm just gonna pray for all those who decide, hey, I'm willing to raise my hand, God. I, will you, if that's true, if there's peace to be had, God, I'm inviting you, let that peace that transcends all understanding come and guard my heart and my mind. And so I just wanna pray for you. Father, I, I pray for the hands that are raised right here and the stories that you're writing that we don't understand. And we look at the circumstances of our lives and we just confess to you, Lord, we need your help. We want to trust you. We don't like everything about the circumstances represented in our life, but we are choosing to trust you. And we want to choose to trust you. So I pray for my friends whose hands were just raised or are raised right now, that you, the God of all peace, would raise their awareness of you in their life. Their awareness that you're working for their good, that you haven't forgotten them, that you've promised to provide for them, that you're crazy about them, that you are in control. I pray that you would be more real than the fear. In this moment, right now, in the moments as they leave here, would you eclipse any of the fear, of the sadness, of the circumstances in their life and be bigger than those things? And I don't even fully know how to best ask for that but I pray that you and your spirit would just flood their hearts and minds with peace and you would guard their minds and hearts with peace that only comes from you, the Prince of Peace. Father, for friends who need to leave and they tonight need to just verbalize, God, I trust you. Will you help me trust you? And will you pour down favor on just my friends in the workplaces and the relationships that they have and all that they do, would they honor you and would they above everything trust you no matter the circumstances that we face. We love you. We worship you in song. Amen.